Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it. Whoops. Well. <laughs> you and I are going to talk later, Bill. <laughs> After Jim. He's next in line. Just kidding. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, once again. It's a nice lineup of worship songs, don't you think? Especially uh, heavily weighted on what Jesus has done for us and uh, him being our vision. For example, that last song, We're the Broken, He's the Healer, Uh, He's the Redeemer, He's the one that has rescued us, and so it's appropriate for what uh, we're talking about this morning. And everybody understands exactly what we're talking about this morning, right? The AFR Dialogue. Y'all got that? I'm ready to... We can go home. If we all got it, we can just go home. Anger, forgiveness, and restoration. Gesundheit. There's nobody in this room that that does not have relevancy to. Oh, not me, Pastor John. I've never been mad at anybody. The drugs help a lot, but it's not true. No, I had an excellent question come in. And in fact, it was four of them, and I'm going to read them as I work my way through the message today. Okay, anger, forgiveness, and restoration dialogue. Anger. There's several words used in the New Testament. We'll come across some of them in a minute. But one of the things we have to recognize is that anger is a fundamental emotion that every human being is going to feel. In fact, if you don't feel it, there's something wrong with you. I don't know if you read the paper this last week, Tragedy in Newburgh, a fine young Christian African-American was shot, uh, had his whole future ahead. A great um, potential life snuffed out stupidly. And if I don't feel anger about that, there must be something wrong with me because I can guarantee you God is not happy about it. He's angry. In fact, we all know that, well, I shouldn't say we all know this, but uh, if you're new at this, this will be a learning experience perhaps. These are great questions. They're of universal application. We're going to have to revisit them after today uh, on a regular basis, semi-regular. You'll never know when. I'm not going to tell you. But it'll usually come up in texts of Scripture because there's so much of it. But Anger, in a righteous sense, is manifested even in the scripture through the very person of Jesus, right? You understand that? There were times he got angry. We love to quote Jesus, especially when we want to turn tables over, make a whip, and let somebody have it. Well, Jesus did it, therefore I'm okay. You're probably not. But if you're taking up an offense, or not taking up an offense, that's a bad choice of words, that's a mistake. But if you're angry because of injustice, especially to someone else, that might be a little more connected to the real kind of correct, godly type of anger. Here's a story in the New Testament. Jesus is in a, a synagogue. He's at church. There's a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are sitting around. You know who the Pharisees are? I just had that question recently. Yeah. Who are the Pharisees? Well, yeah, we use the term interchangeably with hypocrite, Right? Because they were actually, can can I just be clear, I've said this before, it was probably two years ago and you've forgotten, but uh, 
the Pharisees were the Bible Baptists. Oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a denomination. I meant the Baptists or the Bible uh, church or that kind of thing who are sliding into law. I'm not dissing any. You're misunderstanding me. The Pharisees were the hardcore fundamentalists. They believed the Bible from cover to cover. In their day, there were other denominations like the Sadducees who didn't even believe we have a human soul. Did you know that? When you read in your New Testament... The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians. The Pharisees were the good guys when it came to what does the Bible literally say. Where they got in trouble was that they made a bunch of extra laws that God never had in mind that made it oppressive to try to please God. Everybody follow? So they're in that context. Here's an example of one of the oppressive laws. The Bible makes it clear on the Sabbath you should do no work. If you're a a Jewish believer... I don't work on the Sabbath. So how do you define that? Well, if I light a fire, that's work. This is rabbinic teaching, by the way. So in the orthodox circle, you don't light a fire, and part of the application of not lighting a fire is running anything electrical. So if you throw a switch, you're lighting a fire. Therefore, you can't do that. Take that kind of thinking... Put it back in this synagogue and you understand why Jesus looks around the crowd with anger. Why? They're sitting there waiting for him to heal this man so they can jump on him and say he's breaking the law of God. That's how hard their hearts are. Uh, Which may be true if some of you think I'm dissing any denomination because I wasn't. I'm trying to get the point across. These guys were the Bible believers who got themselves in trouble. Can you agree with me that there are Bible believers today who have gotten themselves in trouble? And Jesus occasionally will look around the room with anger. And he wondered at their hardness of heart. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. So there is a time for righteous anger. There's a time when injustice is happening. Here they would rather have this man remain crippled than have God manifest his glory and heal him, restore him to normalcy. They'd rather have him stuck so that their rules are obeyed by the living God. You better listen up, God. This is how it's going to be. Wow. I can understand Jesus being mad. And once in a while, I get that. <laughs> Less often than I... Yeah, anyway, leave me alone. Uh, you get what I'm saying. We tend to think, yeah, I'm feeling angry just like God feels. Maybe. Maybe. But sometimes, yes, there should be a point where I experience anger or I'm probably not really alive emotionally. And the Bible goes on and says, we understand that. So here's the next verse. You recognize this. Be angry and yet do not sin. Okay, so it's possible to get angry and not sin. Everybody with me? It's possible to get angry and not sin. Don't let the sun... Now, here's how you not sin. Here's the little aggravation part. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because if you do, you're giving the devil an opportunity. In fact, you know what the language is there? Ever, anybody remember they used to do uh, door-to-door sales? Today, it's, it, you think it's some cult group coming to your door if they come, but door-to-door sales, 
The whole idea was, you remember the language, it's like, don't let him get his foot in the door. Remember that? That's what that word means. That word means. Giving him the devil, the devil an opportunity means don't give him turf. So what happens is the enemy gets his foot in the door. Now you can't shut, shut it. You can't shut it until you open it again, go poof, and then shut it. You guys need to be more aggressive in your Christianity, I'm telling you. You know, the enemy, I just couldn't help myself. The devil made me do it. You know, it's like, no. Uh-uh. You're giving place. You gave room. Okay? So what is he saying here? You can sin. That's righteous. When you see an injustice, you see people being stubborn or difficult or just whatever it happens to be, there's a natural response of anger. Now, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to let the sun go down on my wrath? When my wife and I got married, she's not here. I can say anything I want. Whoa. She's downstairs helping with junior church. Woohoo! This is my minute. Wonderful. Uh, I had uh, five, five rules, I think. Oh, boy, am I in bad shape. Five rules of marriage I'd give to everybody that I was married. It was Hawko's rules of marriage. One of them was don't sleep in separate beds. Now, that's not counting if you're throwing up and all of that kind of stuff. Then, then I give you permission. But my point was don't sleep in separate beds. I, in 43 years, I broke it once. I did. I'm the bad boy. And by the way, I didn't sleep on the couch because I couldn't sleep. Anybody know what I mean? Quit lying to me. Anybody know what I mean? All right. So the point was... Not letting the sun go down on my wrath is not a legalistic thing. What, do you want to be a Pharisee again? Well, I waited. It was already sundown, so I could stay mad all day, you know, all night. No. The principle is don't let that anger get down into your spirit and begin to seethe. Why? Because if you're taking notes, the R word is resentment or bitterness. There's a B word. There's something in there. Let me take a look at my notes. B, bitterness. Anger shifts into bitterness. That's a very nice word. Isn't it a nice word, bitterness? Oh, I'm just a little bitter. <laughs> How come you hate your mother? I don't hate my mother. I'm just, I just resent her. It's hate. Just a nice way of putting it. It's the same thing. Bitterness. Why don't I let the sun go down on my wrath? Because it's going to turn to resentment. And the scripture is very clear about what to do about that. Do not... Miss the grace of God. Make sure no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. And notice, it'll not only screw you up, and you have freedom to do that, but you don't have the freedom to screw everybody else up. And unfortunately, it will, in fact, defile many. You ever seen any of these awesome road rage circumstances? I saw one down, let's see, I was in Colorado, no, it was Arizona. I was driving down one of the main drags in Tucson, and this nutcase wailing by with his big beater pickup truck, and he's got different symbols going out the window on the end of his hand, you know, at everybody, and just cutting them off and going out of his skull, and I thought, this guy's an accident waiting to happen. And, of course, I think it was in the paper the next day he ended up arrested. Do you really think that he got there because one driver cut him off when he started down Broadway? Seriously? 
It didn't start there. He's been churning and seething with rage and bitterness. I don't know who it... Maybe it's his father. Maybe it's his mother. Maybe it's some teacher that dressed him down publicly and ruined his life. Maybe it's his boss. Maybe it was a Christian leader. I don't know who it was. But something's down in there, and it's just festering and waiting, and that's where it manifests. So here's my... First question that came to me, I loved it, unresolved anger. What can I do about anger that's always simmering just below the surface when I'm not really sure where it's coming from? Nobody else relates to that, so I'm going to speak to the two people in the room that are asking that question. And if you don't recognize sarcasm, talk to me later, because we all have it, right? The solution, ultimately, is this wonderful word, that starts with an F, forgiveness. Forgiveness. That is the solution. I'm going to show you some verses, but before I do, I want to read a little bit out of an old, old classic. To give you an idea how old this is, it's been reprinted and updated and yada, yada, yada. I've got the old original. Look at the colors on there. Nobody would put a book out like that anymore. Jeez. Written by a fine Mennonite brother, David Augsburger. Moody Pocketbooks, get this, 75 cents. Well, anyway, let me just read a couple of things out of here. And by the way, those of you in the back can't read it. It's called The Freedom of Forgiveness. You get that? The Freedom of Forgiveness. Let me just say something about forgiveness. People say, oh, you need to forgive for your own benefit. That's nice. And it is. It is for your own benefit because you're destroying yourself. You know how many people are dealing with arthritis, physical stomach issues, go through a whole list that's related to seething bitterness that they've lived with for decades and won't dig their way down to find out what is really causing this. Yes, it is for your own benefit, but the first and biggest issue is God demands it. And actually, he's more important than I am. (laughs) Or you. Here's what he says about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? And he's not going to give you the whole definition yet. He just wants to whet your appetite. Forgiveness is not mere politeness, tact, or diplomacy. That's why it's so rare. It's not forgetting. Never say forget it, forget it. It's nothing if it really was something. Can I park on that for just a second? This is a sidebar. I find people, I'm so mad about this, oh my, my. And it was like, that wasn't against you and it was none of your business. What are you so mad about? You need to like grow up. Oh, I'm so put out. They changed this in the paper. They, They always put the comics in the wrong place in the paper. I hate when they change that. But I want to tell you something. I don't let the sun go down on my wrath about that because that's like infantile idiocy. But there are people who are like that. They're mad about everything. Oh, they did this. They moved that. They changed that. They bought one of those. They painted it this color. So what? Oi. But if somebody has really wounded me, and it does happen, well, then it's something that hurts. And it's rare to say, I'm releasing you, rather than, oh, forget it. It didn't really bother me, you liar. To avoid or to overlook evil is basically dishonest. 
Augsburger says. It's rare, it's hard. True forgiveness, listen, is the hardest thing in the universe because forgiveness denies the self that demands its rights. It repudiates open revenge. Instead, it chooses to hurt, suffer, etc., voluntarily myself. It's costly. The man who forgives pays a tremendous price, the price of the evil he is forgiving. And it's substitutional. No one ever really forgives another except that he bears the penalty of the other's sins against him. Are you starting to get a little bit of the idea of what is involved in forgiveness? And maybe you can see the picture that... um, It really has a lot to do with looking like God because God was exceedingly offended by us. But he's forgiven us. Not me. I'm a pretty good person. Better read your Bible again or come talk to me. Nobody escapes. So often we're not in touch with who it is we actually need to forgive. Let me just show you a passage of Scripture that unpacks this a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4. Do not Notice the context, brothers and sisters. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Can I just make a statement? Some of us don't even realize we have grieved the Holy Spirit five years ago and we've never dealt with it. If you grieve me, I'm hurt. When the Holy Spirit's hurt, he's very gentle and he pulls back. Okay, you want to be that way? Don't really want to go on a date with you. That's what he's saying. If we're walking in the Spirit, then when we grieve him, we realize, oh, I just sinned, and we walk spiritually breathing, reappropriate the fullness of the Spirit. I need to do a whole series on this so we understand it. But by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So don't grieve the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit is what the New Testament teaches. When you're normal spiritually, then you can do what this says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, just in case I left anything out. Absence of malice. Sounds like a book. That's just the first two. There's one more verse, but I want to hold off for a second. Let me just look at these words, if I could. Just a couple of them. And uh, I forgot to put them on the screen for you, so the people who like Greek, you'll have to forgive me. (laughs) Anyway, I want to unpack that. And Augsburg, in fact, talks about it. Uh, Let me just read this other section. No, I already read that. No, here it is. You see... In forgiving, it takes two to work through the matter of forgiveness. Listen carefully. It takes two to work through the matter of forgiveness. You're thinking, me and the other person. No, me and God. Exactly. The other person may be dead. I need me and God, God and you. The secret is God working in you working it out in your life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as it says. Here's the words. The first one is, let all bitterness, a Greek word that means spite, hate, resentment. It comes from the meaning of something piercing me. Ever get a nice little... I used to live in Arizona. You already heard that story. There was a bush out there we called the wait-a-minute bush because it had these kind of hooks on all over it. You went by, you thought you were far enough, and all of a sudden... It said, wait a minute, 
and you'd look down and it was deep into your flesh, nasty. And there were, there were worse than that. I don't know why. That's not, God never intended anybody to live down there. But anyway, <laughs> just incredible. Piercing. It's that kind of a word, and it means to have spite. You've been pierced, and you resent what has been done. You resent it. The second word that I want to look at is wrath and anger. Two words in a row, wrath and anger. They're synonyms, but they have a different nuance. Wrath is temper, outbursts of anger, like passion, rage. In fact, it's the word thumos. It's related you know, to thermo, that kind of blow-up type of a feeling. It's temper, outbursts of anger. Boy, do I know about that from my own history. Grew up with it. The next word is orge, from which we get or- an orgy. has to do with passions, out-of-control passions in terms of an impulse to be not only enraged, but to want revenge, retribution. I want payback. So they're synonyms, but there's a little difference. Skip the clamor and slander. Let me go to the last word, malice. Simply the word evil. Evil. Because I can have evil. We talk about this person has an evil heart. He's got a heart with malice in it. He has evil intentions. He's going to rob you. He wants to hurt you. Whatever it happens to be, it's wicked, evil, hate, ill, will. That's why we talk in legal terms. Was this um, manslaughter with absence of malice? Ill will, was there an intention there? So those are the words that describe the kind of anger and hatred that can go deep. And what Paul says here is, look, let it all be what? Put away. You see that? Let it all be put away. That's why I underlined that. Let it be put away. Interesting word. How do you put it away? Bury it. Is that not a good answer? No, it's not. Not that kind of bury. When I say bury it, like we like it, I just don't want to think about it. I just repress it. That's not the way to deal with it. Here's an interesting thing. Acts chapter 3, verse 33 is a description. Don't, you don't have to turn there, but it's a description of the crucifixion of Jesus and that Jesus' life in dying for us was put away. It's that word, that very word. It was lifted up. It's a word that means to lift up and toss it. Got the dumpster out back? Anybody ever see it? (laughs) There are times we pick up stuff, we lift it up, we go out to the dumpster, and we put it away. It's gone. That's the only answer. You have to put it to death. You have to kill it. That was one of the questions, by the way. How do you change a root of bitterness? You don't change it. You crucify it. That's what you have to do. You have to find out what it's connected to, who it is that it's rooted in, forgive them, and put it to death. The old language of the spiritual directors was practicing, anybody remember this kind of language? Mortification of sin. Mortification of sin. One of the negative consequences of the easy believism gospel that I've been kind of harping about is that there's very little pressure on us because we're accepted in the beloved. And by the way, it's all true. We're accepted in the beloved. We're forgiven completely. I just shared this with a sister this week. 
we're forgiven past, present, and future sins. Isn't that awesome? So there's no business to be done. It's all taken care of. (sighs) No, we're working that out by putting to death mortification of those sins in physical practice in our lives. That's how we become more and more looking like Jesus in the process. We lift it up, remove it, and toss it. Thinking of that kind of resentment and hate, I I realized, do you realize that God is trying to make us kind of look like him? The forgiving, loving God who does not wink at sin. He does not countenance evil. He doesn't like it when you're being naughty. doesn't. He loves you, and he's going to forgive you, but he doesn't like that. Everybody with me? But when I have an offense against me, when I forgive, I am manifesting the gospel. Do you realize that? I think I shared this a long time ago. I'm going I'm to risk repeating it. I had served in a church in Tucson. Well, I've, I don't, for some reason, I'm parked in Tucson today, maybe. It's so hot there, it's very close to the gates of Hades, you know. That's pro- I don't know. I don't know. But I was in Hades personally there when, as I led my church, at one point I was leading a, a section of the church. I was under another brother, and uh, that brother decided to have an affair with one of my converts. And it blew the... You, don't, you, you all know what this kind of stuff does, right? We kind of know kind of blew the church up. We never really fully recovered. And then down the road, I had a group of people who I thought were friends who betrayed me. But I'm a good Christian, of course. I'm I'm a Christian leader. I mean, of course I'm a good guy. So it finally came to a head how I realized I was not dealing Would you let God... He loves you. Do you know that? He's giving you signals left and right when you're not dealing, if you'll just listen. I wasn't listening. Then one day, a friend of mine says... This is one who was still actually a friend. "Um, We're going to go up to... uh, It was like a Denny's, that kind of a place. We're going to go get lunch up there. And I knew that the crew who had betrayed me always have lunch there on Sundays. But I'm a good Christian. (laughs) And I said to myself and to him, you know what, I'm willing to go there. And and I am such a good model of Christianity, sweet and light, gentle and loving, that if they ask me how things are, I'll tell them, oh, things are fine. But if they ask me how the church is doing, I'm going to blast them out of their socks. (laughs) Everybody's awake now. Of course, you've never felt anything like that. Nobody in this room can relate to this broken mess here, right? Yeah, just, I just triple dog dare you to ask me how the church is doing. I would have relished it. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I went, uh-oh. I'm trapped. And I had some homework to do. And the only answer was this. Forgive it. Put it to death. Send it away. Mortify it. Get over yourself, dimwit. And I did. 
I never got into more than one fight with those people. No, I'm kidding. I never did. Never did. Actually, you want to hear the, the fun part? This is, this is free. This is free. I wasn't even going to bring this up. Years later, the Holy Spirit put me against the wall. Did you handle everything right when that whole thing fell apart? Oh, geez, come on. Their sins were this, this big. Mine was only here. Did you do everything right? No, their sins were way up here. Mine was only here. (laughs) The Spirit says, what are you going to do about that? Okay, you win. So I'm back for a conference. I get on the phone. There were like six main families, and I start calling them up. And every one but one, thank you for calling. I need your forgiveness as well, blah, blah, blah. And it was healing to the bones. Christianity is not a failure. We've just not tried it. So let me show you something. You have to kill it, put it to death, and you have to forgive because God says so. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus died on the cross and we've praised him this morning in the worship time because of what he's done for us, but we don't like this next verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. What? forgiving. Why? Because everybody's so wonderful and lovable? No, that's not true. Although a few of you are, or a lot of you are, maybe. Okay. No, I'm not going to go through the list. I'm not, no. Forgive each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Here's the hypocrisy of it. I want it, but I won't give it. Oy, Christopher Marshall wrote a book. Thank you, Tim, for sending me that little blurb because it it said it good enough. There's lots of stuff written on this. I could pull almost anything. This was sufficient to say, that'll work. That'll work. Several things that he mentioned in a book called Christopher Marshall, a book called Beyond Retribution. The Nature and Task of Forgiveness is one of the chapters. It's really about the political... uh, you know, like the death penalty and all that kind of stuff. They're trying to look, grapple with it th- from a Christian perspective. But the chapter on the nature and task of forgiveness, the entire Christian message centers on forgiveness. How come you're a Christian today? Because you were forgiven. The whole message is revolving around forgiveness. It views forgiveness, listen carefully, as both a gift and a demand. A gift. Thank God for that part. A demand. Oh, shucks. What if God made it contingent on your decision to forgive? I wonder about that sometimes. Okay, you're going to follow me, Jesus says? Guess what? You're going to have to be like me. I forgave my enemies. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm not ready for that. Okay, see you later. Make up your mind when you want to get saved. Thankfully, I don't think he's that cold. But I've wondered. I've had it out with some people after they made a profession of faith. And I say, are you telling me that your sexual activity is God for you? You're going to choose that over what God clearly says. It ain't happening. Okay, well, I'm not sure you're really in the kingdom then. I don't know what to tell you. I know we have to grow and all of that. I get it. But here's the point I'm making on this. Don't let me get you distracted. Forgiveness 
is the center of the Christian message. It's both a gift and a demand. They're inseparably connected, inseparably connected, that I am reconciled with God, and I hope everyone in this room who's hearing my voice, even though I fear it's not true, knows that they're reconciled with God through faith in Jesus who died for their sins. I hope they get that. But I also need to, as much as is possible in me, be reconciled to my brethren. It's horizontal as well as vertical. There's no way around it, not if we're going to live Christianity out. And so J. Peters was quoted by Marshall saying, the demand of the gospel that pinches the hardest. Right? I can probably get over tithing. (laughs) I can probably get over having to read the Bible once a week. I can probably get over that. But forgive that idiot? No way. It's the one that pinches the hardest, right? Forgiveness. How do I know when I have truly forgiven someone? That's a question I have. Let me just show you something that um, Marshall defines. I thought it would be helpful to put it on the screen. Forgiveness is what happens when the victim of some hurtful action, hurtful action, freely chooses to release the perpetrator of that action from the bondage of guilt. They're in bondage. He gives up his or her feelings of ill will. I choose to cancel out malice. Forgiveness is what happens when a victim of some hurtful action freely chooses to release the perpetrator of that action. The fact that Mary showed up wearing the same dress to the party that you just bought is not an offense. Just need to grow up, okay? I'm talking about she walked up and ripped your dress off you in public. In the Now, that's an offense. Now you have a reason to be angry. You give that up. You release them from their guilt. Give up your feelings of ill will. And you surrender any attempt to hurt or damage the perpetrator in return, thus clearing the way for reconciliation and restoration of relationship. By the way, I want to back up for a second. Just the first part of this. Surrenders any attempt to hurt or damage the perpetrator in return. As far as going... um, There we go. I want to hold off that last statement, clearing the way for reconciliation, because that brings us to the last question. Here's something that I have shared many times in counseling people, and it rescued my life when it came to forgiving the person who damaged my childhood the worst, and that was my drunken father. So without going into a lot of detail about that, let me just say it was a continual process that I had to get the seething anger that was coming out in outbursts when finally some sister in Christ got in my face intensely enough to say, this is all about your father. And I'm like, no, I'm a Christian. That's, that was my brilliant assessment. I'm a Christian. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you all listening to me? You who are sitting here going, well, I'm sure glad he's not preaching to me today because I'm fine. <laughs> no, it's about your father. Yeah, you're right. Oh, man. Boom, and I lost it. I forgave my father. But that was just the beginning. So years later, I realized I need to forgive the way Jesus did. Here it is. This is a great learning You remember that Jesus was crucified? Anybody remember that? He's on the cross. 
there's a bunch of soldiers gambling for his clothes and everything else. They're cursing, swearing, mocking, whatever else. And Jesus makes this profound statement. Father, forgive them. And it wasn't just them. It was all the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people, his disciples who ran away. It's everybody. Father, forgive them for they... Well, that's not mighty comforting to me that they don't know what they're doing, is it to you? I think what he's saying is they know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) They don't know who they're doing it to. They don't realize anything. They don't get it. But Father, forgive them. So here's here's the picture, if you can get this. I'm forgiving you, and I don't expect the soldiers to suddenly go, Hey, Jerry! What are we doing here? This is the Son of God. Let's get him down. Call the EMTs. Let's get him down. Let's fix this up. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. That was not going to happen, and Jesus knew it wasn't going to happen. So he forgave them for their sin, past, present, and future. future. They were going to finish the job. They were going to follow the devil's lead right to the bitter end. And Jesus says, I'm forgiving you in advance. Oh, boy, is that liberating. Because when I was at my father's funeral and I found out through his friend that my father had stuck the knife in my back again and twisted it, and I was literally from this chair to that chair from the casket where my father was laying and this friend is telling me I'm the jerk and I tell him the coolest jets and leave me alone and I turn around and go, he did it to me again, I can't believe this. From there to here, I'm totally at peace and free. Thank you, God, because I had done that forgiveness so thoroughly. I had picked it up, picked it up and tossed it in the dumpster so completely that even if he did it again, it wasn't going to stumble me. Some of you need to finish that. Oh, I forgave the past, but if they do it again... How do I know when I've truly forgiven when that doesn't happen anymore? When I sort out the roots sufficiently and put it to death. Doesn't mean you never have the thoughts come back. Come on, that's ridiculous. Of course they come back. Oh, man, I can't believe that happened. I can't, you know... Yes, and what do you do with it immediately? Boy, do I feel angry when I think about that. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And if you lay it down, then you know you're okay. If you wake up the next morning, you're still stewing about it, you're probably not so okay. And I don't mean literally 24-hour periods. One last thing, then. We come to the subject of restoration. Great question. Great question. Everybody in the room is wondering the same thing. I know you are. When does forgiving turn to enabling if we're continuing to forgive 70 times 7? Don't you just hate when Jesus says stuff that you can't get around? Forgiveness is what happens to the victim. Clearing the way for reconciliation, but not demanding it. Did you hear me? Clearing the way for reconciliation, but not demanding it, restoration of relationship. It's not demanded. It depends on the situation. Let me explain what I mean. 
Peter comes and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to 70 times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So every Christian in the room finally breathes a sigh of relief and says, thank God, I only have to forgive him 490 times and then I can bash his head in. I think you missed the point. But that is aggravating, isn't it? I don't have time to finish my sermon today because I don't want to abuse you. But let me finish with this part. Anybody remember? Where is that guy? Oh, this is terrible. There was a picture in my uh, slide somewhere. And did I miss it? Oh, it's not there. No wonder. Anybody remember this guy? Yeah, Jimmy Swaggart. Here's the problem. He's right. I have sinned against you. Should he be forgiven? Yes, absolutely. I have no problem. I believe, uh, I believe this brother had, had ministry to people. I don't want to discount anything that happened. And as is often the case, high-profile leaders and even low-profile leaders come under severe attack from the enemy in order to, to discredit and destroy their gospel effect. And the enemy won in this one. But where I had real trouble with this brother was he had confused forgiveness with restoration. From those, those of you who remember that far back, he demanded his pulpit back and was calling everybody who wouldn't give it back to him Pharisees. Basically, you're being unforgiving. No, no, no. You're the one that's confused. How can you know so much Bible and be that confused about this? You're forgiven. Absolutely. If you have to, Adrian has been taking care of my checking account. And I found out that my big volumes of money, all $200 of it, <laughs> have been siphoned off so that he could go boating on the Hudson. Now, that happened about four years ago. That's not true. I wasn't even here four years ago. But none of this is true. You all get that, right? But, um, but I forgave him, and then I trusted him again. He did it again to me last week. So now what's my obligation? I forgive him. But you ain't. Give me my checkbook back. Enough of this nonsense. Sorry, brother. You're a really nice guy. You're a crook. And I don't trust you. And at that point, the burden of proof is on the sinner to prove that he's meaning to make genuine restitution. God never asks us to blow our brains out and not use our intelligence. He's never asking us to be dumb. He is asking us to be merciful and he is asking us to make sure we forgive those who offend us from the heart. And some forgivenesses are a lot harder than others, brothers and sisters. Some of the damage done to some people sitting in this room have been pretty severe. Not unlike what I grew up with. Pretty severe and sometimes worse. But I know a God who is not only forgiving, but will transform us, free us, the question is, do you want the forgiveness? Are you willing to give it? That's the question. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. I'm going to skip the end. We'll uh, pick it up another time because I told you we have to cover this periodically because it's so central to us. 
and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Lord, I know that my brothers and sisters, we all, we stumble, we have weaknesses. I know that there are brethren in the room who it's, it's a hard-nosed struggle to consider forgiving some major thing that has been excessively damaging. I also know it's one of the biggest things that damages your church and your witness because Christians... It's just almost expected today that we get ticked off at each other and never resolve it. I know there's some of that in this room. How many people have left churches and left relationships and what have you when it could have been resolved? Instead, no, I just refuse. I don't want to be like Jesus right now. I'm, I'm smarter than he is. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to drill down Till you hit oil in lives that are could be available to you in a powerful way to be instruments of healing and restoration, forgiveness, and a demonstration of agape love. Lord, move on us who we already know as I'm speaking today, the finger of the Spirit of God is on my heart, and I know that I have stuff to do. I know I have work to do. I'm praying that you would give grace to those people to follow through, to make a decision that they're going to lay the hatchet down and release it. Bring healing, because we can't heal ourselves. Forgiveness is a process that involves me and God. The other person is secondary. I ask for help for your people. I ask for your angelic protection as we go. I'm asking for forward progress in your kingdom, in and through us. I pray this all in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. If you want to start the process of putting a stake in the ground and releasing somebody, some of us will be up here to pray with you or at least get you going. I'm up here. God bless you. Off you go.